name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins. For the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's Gospel brings to us one of the most central commandments that the people of Israel had received, one of the real, the pillar of who God was and how they were to live their relationship to the God of Israel. It happened after a number of uh, incidences that must have impressed people. In particular, one of the scribes. One of the scribes decides to put a question to Jesus, seeing all that he had seen and, and what he had heard, a very honest question. It wasn't a trick, it wasn't a, it wasn't a ruse. St. Mark tells us, one of the scribes came up to Jesus and put a question to him, which is the first of all the commandments? I suppose which is the first? There are many commandments, many mandates uh, for the people of Israel in the Torah, how to live, how to eat, what, what, what not to touch, what could lead, lead to impurity, all kinds of commandments, and they ended up being literally in the hundreds. And perhaps many of them were human constraints or human interpretations and uh, the real divinity of the law perhaps got a bit confusing. So among all those requirements to live as the people of Israel, as the people of God, which was the most, the, not, the, not the most important, in, in, well, by first it really meant the most important. Jesus replied, this is the first. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You must love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. There must have been a pause after he said that. There must have been a moment to let it all sink in. The scribe said to him, Well spoken, Master, what you have said is true that he is one and there is no other to love him with all your heart with all your understanding and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself this is more important than any holocaust or sacrifice Jesus seeing how wisely he had spoken said you are not far from the kingdom of God and after that no one dared to ask him any questions. There were no other questions to ask. Everybody wanted to let this sink in, perhaps trying to examine how this had really been lived out in their own lives, how sincere, how ready they were to let this 
happened in their lives. This man, the scribe, was obviously an upright man, and he's sincerely seeking the truth. He was probably impressed by the earlier reply when the Lord responded to a trap that was set by other scribes and Pharisees and when he responded to the tribute Caesar you know, to whom shall we pay our taxes he says give to God what is God's and give to man what is man give to Caesar what is Caesar and uh, this scribe must have been impressed by that fast response and how later he spoke about the other trap about the resurrection of the dead uh, there were seven brothers and each of them died and you know it's, a, it's like a confusing complicated story you know whose wife who will be his wife and um, he responded to that too he's not you know, they won't marry they won't marry in heaven and in this passage Jesus we can see unites the commandment of loving others with loving God and loving ourselves. There are like three aspects there. You must love the Lord your God. It says first, listen. Then it says you must love the Lord your God. It's from Deuteronomy. Then you must love others and you must love yourselves. There's three things. There's love your neighbor as, as yourself. And uh, we should not forget that third aspect. You must love your neighbor as yourself. could happen that we don't really love ourselves. And if we really don't truly love ourselves properly, well, then we will have difficulty loving our neighbor. So let's try in our prayer this morning to clarify how all those three kind of work together, forge together if we really want to struggle to grow in love there are those three aspects of God's commandment that we must grow in you must love your neighbor as yourself. If we look at ourselves, it's not that we have to be the center of the universe and we have to love ourselves and incense ourselves and be egotistical. But somewhere there, he is saying that we have to be at peace with ourselves. We have to be at peace. That means to accept oneself as we are. I'm a poor sinner, yes. But somewhere there, I'm happy to be who I am. To be who you made me, Lord. Because I'm a, I believe I'm a son or a daughter of God. And we're happy. And because we know in that, that somehow we are the object of God's love. We are the object of His special predilection. These three loves, love of God, love of others, and love of oneself, they all somehow grow together. They support one another. They interact somehow, and they become one. I'm sure I've told you before of the image of the stool 
you know, the, if you need a, if you want to have a stool to sit on the minimum you need are three legs so that it stands up on three legs like a tripod and if one of those legs is missing the stool will fall over the tripod will fall down unless it's jammed into the into the ground into the earth but each each stool of the leg supports the other in some way and it can happen in our life that one leg of the stool is not always equally strong as the other one might be more fragile than the other at different times of our life and it is important to detect which one of those legs is weaker because when we know that, when we know which one is weaker, then we know which one we have to st strengthen and, and put more power into, whereas the other ones are already strong enough. There are times in our life that we have to put more strength in the, in the, in the, in the love of God, that leg of our life. Maybe we have to put more acts of faith and confidence in God. Maybe the way we do our norms, our prayer, has to be strengthened. And when we start to do that, out of love, when we put really love in the Mass, and the things you could say that are directly related to God, suddenly this will make us grow in our love for others as well. Other times we might be you could say that quite pious, and uh, but we realize we have to have more love for others. It's it, that's the part that we have to fortify. Maybe we need more patience in our work, or just more mercy <coughs> and goodness. Maybe we've received a lot of doctrinal formation. We've even learned to pray, but somewhere along the line, we lost the language of of, of kindness with those around us. And precisely, if we start living more kindness, just with those who live with us, and we take care of them, and we give ourselves, well, this also will make us grow in our love for God. But also, in some mysterious way, it will help us to accept ourselves as we are. But to overly compare ourselves. We're just there for the others. It means we have a big heart to forgive, Forgive the others for what they do. Love the others as they are. In other stages, it's strengthening. What, it, what really needs to be strengthened is our relationship to ourselves that, that has to be fortified somehow. Suddenly we'll see that our love for others, when we accept ourselves as we are, and... Uh, give thanks to God for what he has made us in this world some, in some mysterious way our love for others will begin to take off our love for God will enter it and there will be a new phase a new dynamism there we always have to look which one of those legs is weaker or needs work are you able to answer that now in the prayer now Like, are you able to say well right now and now now I need to work on my you know, fraternity, you know, 
which is love for others. I need to work. I've had this issue. Or maybe we're just not comfortable in our own skin. Maybe we feel a bit ashamed. Perhaps, perhaps we're not always as transparent as we ought to be in spiritual direction. We kind of we want to maintain a more positive facade. We gloss over things. Perhaps because we're kind of embarrassed, uh, and somehow we think, if I say this, I'm not really going to be very lovable. I'm not going to be really accepted for who I am. It's the it's the trinitarian dimension of the growth of charity. And it's important not to lose sight of this. Where do I have to grow? The, which part of the trinitarian formula, you could say, equation do I have to grow? And uh, it means that there is a deep mutual interaction between these three loves, both spiritually and even psychologically. Because imagine if we really don't have a fundamental love for God, how hard it becomes to love the others. You know, we, we say, if somebody is hard to love, we have to say, well, we have to love them anyway out of love for God. Without prayer, without hope, why would we want to put an effort into taking care of the norms of piety? Because it is hard to love others and see in them the face of Jesus. It requires uh, a certain courage, a certain daring. But at the same time, inversely, if I close myself off to others, if I in some way isolate myself and I refuse to forgive then how can I really discover the love of God somewhere in our understanding of the love for God there is our own experience of our love with others and our experiencing forgiveness we can tell the Lord Lord I, I don't want to become too isolated too withdrawn could happen I get too withdrawn in social media and uh, live in this rather unreal world. They say that about Instagram. People put on all these filters and they only put good photos and good cam- good things. And um, we, ins- though we are apparently connected, we're really actually quite isolated. And then we, we're always fed more and more things that we like and then it can lead us to, you know, just the algorithm just to seeing our own little niche of certain people that we like and so we we don't come to accept or understand or embrace people that are very different from us with very different understandings we're all it's like it, it's like it foments this little bubble and if that's, that scribe asked that question to our Lord it's because he, he deeply understood that somewhere along the line he needed to grow in love and because in our life we must always be growing in love that's the the backbone of our perseverance it's the backbone of the perseverance of any vocation we understand that we have to grow in love because that is the only thing that will really stay we could become injured we become physically debilitated we could lose our possessions, 
Everything else could vanish. In fact, many other things will vanish in our life. We'll be purified in some way of all we have, even of our faith, of our hope, our possessions, our qualities, our intellect. All those things won't be necessary in heaven. Faith won't be necessary. Hope won't be necessary. Possessions, qualities, intellect, brilliance, capacities, all the things you've learned. The only thing that reigns in heaven is, is love. That's hard for us to imagine, a place where all you need is love, you know. Am I adamantly holding on to something that will definitely not be needed in heaven as I face the Lord? If I'm, I'm adamantly holding on to that, thinking that that's what I will need. That's why we say, if, we, if in this life we have learned to love, we will truly be happy in heaven. Indeed, we will be ready for heaven. And if not, if we do not make this of this life a school of love, it's not a good preparation. No matter how much success and recognition and uh, you know, goodness we might do, no matter what we may do, how obviously how wealthy we might be, but, but also just how humanly speaking developed we are, we have to do that. We have to develop ourselves. We have to acquire the qualities. We have to knowledge and all that. We have to get formation. I mean, that's fundamentally what we, we try to acquire here. But deep down, it's all done out of love for God, out of love for our neighbor, and out of love for ourselves. This work, this generosity, this fraternity, this formation that I give is ultimately that school of love. So that means that every moment I must learn more refinement in that language of love. Maybe there are some things you know how to do perfectly well here. As you work here, you know how to prepare certain, certain meals, how to do the laundry, uh, how to do other tasks. You're, I, I suppose with time you, you can do it blind. You know, you can do, you know, you just know, no problem, you can do it. It doesn't take you any time. You know, you, you learn perfectly well how to do this meal. You know, you already have done this. You know exactly the ingredients. You don't even have to look at the menu. You just, you just know this is how you do it. You just go like that, go like that. And then <laughs> and you, you throw it in and it goes perfectly every time. Because you've done it a million times, I suppose. I mean, I can, I can make a toast. I can make a toast, you know. <laughs> I have no problem making a toast. Probably boiling it, the egg would be more difficult. But uh, but uh, maybe you can do that very well, easily. Other tasks, or even preparing a talk, things like that. But can you increase in your love that you invest in doing that task? Do those things that you do really literally glow with love? Like it's like glowing you know. do the scrambled eggs glow with love mm -hmm. 
they say you you can't unscramble eggs right? once you've you know they're just you know once you've scrambled the eggs you can't put them back into the shell and you know you uh, okay but look at it mm-hmm. and uh, I can it can be done with love how, how what's the grade of love that I could that I that I put in there can that still be increased what's the what's the grade of love in those scrambled eggs is it like first class seats in an airplane or is it premium quality or is it a lesser quality is it like going at the back of this airplane where there's no room and uh, you're you're scrunched up in the back and uh, or is it like first class you just you have your own screen for yourself and you can even lie down and whatever they do in first class <laughs> not that anyone here or any of us know I've never been in first class so but charity that will grow with these three parts of the stool are strong love of God love of others of neighbor and of ourselves Naturally, we would have to begin with our reconciliation with, with God. And because if we don't have this integrity, it's hard to see how the rest of it can happen you know, with others or just being at peace with ourselves. It's the most, of course, fundamental reconciliation. If this one works, the others will go smoothly. We see this interrelationship in the story of the prodigal son, you know, who, who, as you know, he leaves home quite brutally, and uh, he, you know, he says, "Give me the heritage that is due to me," and uh, it was a powerful statement. It meant really that the prodigal son was saying to his father, I, it, "If I get the heritage, it's because you're dead, and so therefore you are dead to me." And then we know how he. He does that, he goes off carousing and stuff, but then he, he realizes he's done something terrible. And he came home there to be reconciled with his father. But that reconciliation, which we know and we've seen so often, it, it never loses its power. That reconciliation would affect the rest of all the aspects of his life. He had, he, and what he had realized when he was feeding the pigs when he was starving and how terrible he felt that you know, what a stupid idea this was and that uh, he must have in that, in that uh, state that he was when he was in the dirt he must have hated himself he must have hated himself why did I do this he thought to himself why did I just that was so dumb and then he must have been mad at others that he worked for or what about the the women that he partied with that he got you know to carousing with where were they they were not there he didn't love them they didn't seem to love him they were not helping him out of his state maybe they had stolen his his money and left him all alone that's why he was there all alone I mean, he did have an inheritance, but he must have gotten stolen. The very people who hired him didn't give him to eat. He must have been angry with them. He must have been bitter. 
So once he reconciled himself with his father, somewhere there, at one point he must have pardoned himself, forgiven himself, as well as those whom he ex exploited. He must have forgiven, you know, he exploited the, those and you know the, the, those two when he was in the other end of the world. I mean, he, he forgave them. In other words, reconciling with God always creates a chain reaction in our life. But it has to be true reconciliation, not just uh, sort of uh, different levels of belief and knowledge about God. We really have to be at peace with God, and that is not always evident. And in a certain way, we can sometimes be in conflict with God, because it happens when we are angry. We resent something almost as though we resent something he's done some event in our life we fear him but he's, it's too hard for us we can ignore him not really listen to what he wants the, all these are expressions really of not being at peace with God that's the fundamental starting point and if we are afraid of letting ourselves be controlled by God, or we could say domesticated by God, I suppose. It's hard to express this. In French, we would say, se laisser apprivoiser de Dieu. Se laisser apprivoiser. I can't find a, a good uh, translation of that. Um, let's allow ourselves to be domesticated by God, guided by God's mercy, let ourselves be won over, touched by God. Or is it always you that feel that you must be in charge? You must have heard that story um, of some rowdy boys in, in Orléans in uh, 1939. Uh, these little boys, I guess it was during the war in France, they, they were just, uh, just to make a dare to one of their friends, they said uh, why need, this is our dare to you. Go into the church, the Catholic church, and go into the confessional and make up a list of the most wild and crazy sins, you know, just whatever, right? And uh, just to scandalize the priest, you know? And, but it was a, it's like a fictitious confession. So they were all, one guy said, no, I can't do that. I can't. Another guy said, oh, I, can't, I can't do that. But then one little boy, who was a Jewish boy, his name was Aaron... Lustiger. He said, I'll do it. He was Jewish, so uh, so he, dis he, he didn't care. He was, he was not Catholic, so he said, I'll do it, you know, as a dare. And he, he must have been 10 years old or something. And he went into the confessional and he said all kinds of the worst sins, you know, I killed two people, I, I did stole uh, X number, you know, I just said the worst things, you know. Of course, the priest was no dummy. He didn't, uh, you know, he's so... He, the priest listened to him he gave him a penance and he says I want you to go now go in front of the crucifix and say three times Jesus you died on the cross for me and I don't give a damn that's what I want you to say <laughs> so uh, so the little boy said uh, okay thanks okay good so he went in front of the crucifix 
And he said, no problem, I can do this. This is part of the dare. The first time he said, Jesus, you died for me. I don't give a damn. Second time he said, Jesus, you died for me. I don't give a damn. But then the third time, he looked up to the crucifix. It was this old, beautiful, medieval crucifix with Jesus hanging there. And he just couldn't do it. You know? He broke down. You know? Well, he said, Jesus, you died for me. But then he just, the rest, you know. He saw the thorns. He saw the scars. Uh, he saw the expression on Jesus' face. Uh, it was truly a loving God that he discovered. He was a Jewish little boy. Hmm? And that a true God who would do anything, absolutely anything, for his lost child. Hmm? He wept. He wept there. Hmm? He understood there, trying to do that prank, the unadulterated love for God. Well, a year later, that little boy was baptized, and uh, I think he was, uh, actually he was about 13 years old. He wasn't 10, he was 13 years old. He took on the name Jean-Marie Lustiger. A few years later, he went into the seminary, became a priest, and in 1983, became a cardinal of the Catholic Church, an archbishop of uh, Paris. So, you know, he, he kind of discovered the love for God. And this is what we have to do as we ask the Lord and ask our Blessed Mother, you know, not to be afraid uh, what, about what God wants to do in our life, in our vocation, that he's trying to domesticate us and we let ourselves be domesticated by him. So, laissez apprivoiser de Dieu, par Dieu. And uh, he guides us, he trains us, not to put us in a cage like a bird, but really on the contrary to make us freer so that we can fly like eagles and uh, discover the grandeur of God's love. Our Blessed Mother will help us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, to seek for me.